Well, good morning, everybody. It's so good to see you again. I've missed you greatly. We have missed you a lot. And uh, the rumor has it that some of you don't get up this early, so I feel very honored that you would be here this morning. <laughs> you know, th- what a great season we, uh, we're in, Christmas season. And it's, uh, it's such a delight to be here. Funny enough, one of Cheryl and I's dreams was always to have a Christmas um, in England, and somehow it has avoided us, and uh, it will again this year. But that's okay. We'll, we'll have a, a snowy Colorado Christmas. But the season of Christmas is always a beautiful time. And uh, I want to share with us this morning something that is, I, I believe, is, it's, a, it's a unique approach to the Christmas story. But before I get into it, I do want to thank um, Stephen and James and the elders here at Gold Hill for entrusting me with this pulpit, I know. Um, there's a great legacy here, so I'm very honored that you would allow me to be here. But this Christmas story, this today begins the, the, the Sunday of Advent, which is a, it's a, it's a season of waiting. It's a season of, as we look at the Christmas story, expecting what God is going to do or what he did do and what he's going to do. But it warms my heart, and every season I ask God to reveal something fresh and new about the Christmas story, and I believe he has. What's interesting, though, about Advent as we begin today is it's the beginning of the Christian year. It it became a part of the church traditionally in the fourth century. And what's really great is today we're beginning celebrating the Christmas story with millions of Christians around the world. Millions of Christians are beginning their Sunday talking about this reality of Christmas about Jesus coming and breaking into our lives and, and coming as the promised Messiah that we saw in the Old Testament. So this, this season is for us to intentionally focus our hearts, to pause, to ask God to minister to us. The reality is all of us have, have different journeys. All of us here today are, are in different places with our walk with God. But the truth is this, God is the God that meets us in our journey. He meets us in the place that we are, regardless of where you are. Here's the beautiful promise of Christmas. Jesus, he comes to where we are, just like he came to Bethlehem. He came to where we are. He meets us right where we are. And that's the beauty of Christmas. So many of us think that Jesus maybe wouldn't want to come to where we are, but that's not true. The reality is he came because we could do nothing about our condition. And just like you today, regardless of what you're going through or dealing with, you can't do anything about it. Only Jesus can. And that is the story of Christmas, that he came to meet us where we are. So I want us to begin this first Sunday of Advent this, from a passage from Matthew chapter 1. And I have to be honest, it's probably one of the least interesting chapters in all of the Bible. So thank you, Stephen. I appreciate that. Matthew chapter 1, and if if you've um, ever had to read publicly, you will understand why I'm not going to read these 17 verses, every one of them. But I'm not going to read the full passage, but I do want us to understand what God is saying. I don't know if you've ever considered the lineage of Jesus And so many times in Christmas, we focus on the night of his arrival. We focus on the incredible happenings as we should. Yes, we should focus on those, but there are some hidden gems actually in the genealogy of Jesus that's remarkable, and I believe God wants to speak to us today. Maybe it's going to challenge some of you. I believe it's going to to lift you up. It's also going to maybe even make you feel uncomfortable, which is okay for that to be in church. I believe God's word should make us feel uncomfortable at times, don't you? should challenge us, and I believe it will today. 
But for the context, as we get into Matthew, Matthew is a Jew. It's important we understand the context of who he's writing to, why he's writing to them. But he's writing to the Jews. So for us as Gentiles, we wouldn't notice the importance in this genealogy. But for the Jew, they would have been told their whole life that the Messiah is going to come through the lineage of Abraham. It'd be a pure line. From Abraham, be a pure line all the way to King David, be a pure line from King David to the individual, whoever that is, who claims to be the Messiah. The Jews would understand this. And Matthew, as he walks through these passages, or as he walks through the lineage, what he's doing is he's, he's giving the legal claim to show that Jesus is the son of David. But in the genealogy, if we, if we skip through that, and we just notice that, we miss some other things that I believe God is speaking, because as you get into the genealogy, you're going to find some people who were known to be not of upstanding character. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not. I don't know if you've ever taken time and leaned into this. And though this passage may see, seem incredibly boring when you just read through the information, really, it's the most important, though, to the reader, who Matthew is writing again to the Jews. And to the Jew, the single most important thing about the claiming, about someone claiming to be the Messiah is their family lineage, their pedigree. But also for the Jew, there's the reality of their known broken past. They would ask the question, does it match history? This person claiming to be the Messiah doesn't match history. Does it match what the prophet said? What are the proofs of your identity? Can I count on it? Can I put my life on it? Now remember this is written after the birth of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But really this genealogy, it's really the, the drum roll to set up the whole eyewitness account of the life of Jesus. And Matthew is preparing the reader for the magnificent entry of what comes next. And Matthew begins, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. He says, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. Then Matthew goes on in these verses introducing us to Jesus by giving us three sets of 14 generations leading up to the birth of Jesus. So I, I want to highlight some of the significant names that Matthew listed and maybe we're a little bit more familiar with. Well, let's look at the first group of the 14 generations of the lineage of Jesus. The first name mentioned in the introduction of Jesus is King David, whose line God promised to establish for all time. And Matthew then moves to Abraham, who was the one through whom God promised the blessing would come to the whole world. Then Abraham's son Isaac, who's a miracle baby, born to a mother named Sarah who was absolutely shocked when she found out that she was to have a child in her old age. It's really a precursor to Mary's experience later that Matthew introduces. And then there's this woman named Tamar, who was the first woman mentioned. And Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. Judah was one of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's from her name, excuse me, his name, where the name of the Jews come from. Judah's son, who was married to Tamar, died. Tamar then married another one of Judah's son who failed her. And Judah wouldn't give her another one of his sons. So Tamar disguised herself as a prostitute. 
tricked Judah into sleeping with her, which led to the birth of twins that are listed here in the lineage. They're mentioned in Jesus' family tree. Two twins that were the product of deception, manipulation, and one pretending to be a prostitute and one taking her as a prostitute. Then there's another woman in the family tree of Jesus whose name is Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute who, who was spared because she helped protect the Israelites when they infiltrated Jericho. When they came into the promised land, a, a, a woman being mentioned in ancient being mentioned in ancient genealogy, if you think about this, Rahab, these, these women who are mentioned here, they're mentioned as they came into the promised land. Rahab is mentioned as they come into the promised land. So for a woman to be mentioned, very unheard of. A prostitute, never. But Matthew lists her. Then we move on to the third woman, Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite woman who came from a group of people that are known for their sexual immorality. And one time were forbidden to come into the assembly of God's people. The second group, there's a fourth woman mentioned. She's not explicitly named, but it's Bathsheba. The wife of Uriah, in which King David and her had an affair she more likely was a victim of David's power. Her husband was sent to the front of the line to die. Then King David had a son with her, named him Solomon. Then Matthew also listed the kings of Israel all, all the way up to the exile. Now some of them did honor God, most of them did not. They were evil and they led God's people away from the worship of Yahweh. Third group in this genealogy Matthew traces from Babylon all the way to the birth of Jesus. So here's the question. Why would he do that? Why would Matthew choose to reveal Jesus to the Jews that he's trying to convince Jesus is the Messiah? He's writing them. They're contemplating if they should put their trust in Jesus like many or this Christmas season, they're contemplating, is this really the one who can save me? Is this really this baby Jesus in a manger born in a, in a barn somewhere? Is this really the one who can save me? But the Jews at this time were contemplating the same thing. They knew of their broken past. They knew of the patriarchs. They knew the Messiah would need to check all the boxes to fulfill what God said through the prophets. They knew that. They were listening. They were reading very carefully. Many of them as a result of trusting Jesus already, many of them after receiving forgiveness from their sins already, they were losing their families, they were losing their possessions, their, their physical safety was in danger, it was in jeopardy, and this genealogy was extremely significant. And Matthew, who walked with Jesus, who was a disciple of Jesus, who was saved by Jesus, who gave his life for Jesus, he opens the statement of his book to the Jews with this reality. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. So why would Matthew be saying this? And he's introducing Jesus. And it's like Matthew is saying, may I introduce to you Jesus, the one we've all been waiting on. So I want to give us three, three things that we can find from this passage that Jesus that God speaks to us through the, through the lineage of Jesus. Number one, that Jesus is the one sent to save us from our sins. 
This is what Matthew is saying. He, he's introducing Jesus with this in mind. The name of Jesus actually, it, it, mean, it's, it comes from the Greek form of a Hebrew name, Joshua or Yeshua, or Yahweh saves, or the Lord of salvation. It's much like, as you remember later, Matthew introduces this reality. When the angel appears to Joseph, he says, in Matthew 1, verse 20, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And before the birth of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus' arrival had been set before the foundations of the world. And that purpose was revealed in his name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is what Matthew's introducing. Remember, in the Old Testament, there was an appointed leader after Moses, whose name was Joshua, to take God's people into the promised land. The arrival of Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, is about now he's taking sinful people with no options, with no hope, with no way to save themselves into a land that they can't get to themselves. They have to be led by him. They had no options, but now Jesus is bringing them into a new land. It's called eternal life. And the list of the genealogy of Jesus are sinful men and women of adultery, of sexual morality, of prostitution, of incest. And you would think Matthew could have found a better way. You would have thought that Matthew would have highlighted some different people. If it was me, I would have just left them out of my lineage to introduce something about the Savior of the world. But Matthew leaves them in. Why would God choose to bring the Savior of the world through such brokenness and such stained humanity? It's important that we understand that Jesus came through fallen humanity for the purpose to become fallen humanity so he could redeem and save fallen humanity. He became everything that we are so that we could become everything that he is. But the reality is if someone needs saving, they need saving because unless you are saved, you are doomed. If you need saving, it means you cannot save yourself in the introduction of Jesus by Matthew, he's announcing to the Jews and to the world, which are all broken, which includes you and I, to the hurting, to the doomed, to the cursed, to the rebellious against God, to the hopeless, to the regretful, to, the, to those who are embarrassed of their failures and their sins, to those who are enslaved to sin, those who are destined for hell with no way out. Matthew is declaring, friends, look no further. Your Savior and the Savior of the world has arrived. Is Jesus, the Savior of the world, is in our midst. He came to save us. The one who has come to save us from our sins, Jesus Christ, he's here. He's in our midst. He wants to, he wants to speak to you, wants to minister to us. It's the heart of Matthew. It's like Matthew is just, the drum roll is, hey, so Merry Christmas, everybody. You can be saved through this Messiah. When I read the names, I, I'm aware of the backstory, like many of you are, of these people and the genealogy of, of Jesus. There's a theme for many of them. And I'm sure you've, we've, we've talked about it. I'm sure you've picked it up. But there's a theme. And it's one of immorality. 
Matthew is showing and connecting that Jesus, the Messiah, came for the world in sin. But here's the reality. Many keep themselves distant from God because we disqualify ourselves. We say, no, God, I've, I've, I've failed you. I've messed up. I've stumbled. Therefore, I will stay back and I, I, I don't, I, I'll receive. I'm saved, but I, I don't know if you want to. I'm gross. I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. Many won't receive forgiveness because they believe they're not good enough to be forgiven. But the reality is, this is what Matthew is telling us. Jesus is the hope that we've all been waiting for. He's, he's the one that can save us. He's the one because we couldn't go to him. He came to us. And so we find in this passage that Jesus, the one we've been waiting for, he's also the one who came for the morally outcast. So why in the world are these people included in the, in the lineage of Jesus that leads up to the Messiah? He is the Messiah for the same reason, your name and my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's called the grace of God. Why are these names mentioned as in this scandalous genealogy? It's the same reason that you and I are included in the family of God, the grace of God. It's not because of our efforts, not because of how strong-willed we are. It's not because of how good we are. It's because of how good he is. That he came down and he met us in our life. And he transformed us. And he changed us. And it was made possible by the birth, the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Christmas season is this, as we were praying earlier that all churches would, would be a warm place where those searching would find Christ. The reality of Christmas is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever. You know, we got a bunch of whoever's in here. There's a bunch of whoever's who walk the streets. There's a bunch of whoever's that we meet every day. A bunch of whoever's in our families. Whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. Here's Matthew introducing Jesus to people that, that know Matthew. Matthew's got a story. As he's writing the crooked family tree of Jesus, I'm sure Matthew remembers the life he lived before he found Jesus. As a tax collector, he made his living cheating his fellow countrymen out of money. He remembers how after Jesus called him, he, he threw a party to introduce Jesus to his friends. And the only people that Jesus, excuse me, that Matthew knew to invite, the Bible calls sinners and other cheaters. That was his friend group. That's who he rolled with. He knew that he is the least likely person to ever be writing this gospel of Jesus Christ. But as he's introducing Jesus, 
He must be filled with such gratefulness, such gratitude. He knows that Jesus came for those morally outcast. He knows that Jesus came for people just like him. This is what Christmas is all about, friends. This is the Jesus that we need in our own lives. This is a Jesus that we need to understand has been given to us. Yes, his, the gospel has transformed us and saved us, but Christmas is about carrying that light into the darkness in our world. And everyone's afraid of darkness, but the reality is there's one thing that's actually faster than the speed of light. It's the speed of darkness when the light shows up. It moves. It leaves. That's what we're called to be. The lights of the world that carry the gospel. But this understanding as we encounter those who are morally outcast, as we come to grips with our own moral downfalls in our own life, that Jesus came for us to save us from our sins to a life of righteousness. So if you've sinned morally, the scripture says we can repent and receive healing and forgiveness. Or maybe we have written people off that you think are moral outcasts. Remember the message of Christmas. Remember the introduction of Jesus from Matthew. Remember when you're sharing Christ's love through the gospel that you are just a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And we found it in the bread of life, which is Jesus. And because of the truth about the arrival of Jesus, we give thanks this Christmas. We worship. We praise God. We delight in his saving grace that he would save a wretch like me. That he would save a, an outcast like you. And that we could delight in the pleasure and the joy of Christmas. The last thing I want to share with you is that Matthew is telling us that Jesus, the Messiah, is the one who came to bless the world. This is the genealogy of Jesus. The Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew mentions that Jesus is the son of Abraham. What is he saying about Jesus by mentioning the reality of his forefather, Abraham? And so in order to know this, if you were to jump back to Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham... I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And what was it that God was saying to Abraham regarding him being a blessing to the whole earth? Matthew introduces this idea of the blessing that God spoke through the lineage of Abraham who would come to the one who would be savior of the whole world, a blessing to the whole world. And Galatians 3.16 speaks to this reality. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to the seeds, meaning many, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. The arrival of Jesus was the moment in history that the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world arrived on the earth from the line of Abraham and David to be the blessing of salvation to the whole world that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. What a beautiful reality in this 
beautiful, boring, but powerful passage of Scripture. It's so important for us to realize that the, cul- the, the, the culmination of everything from Genesis to Revelation is completely found in Jesus. I'll close with this passage, Colossians 1, verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and un- invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I want you to notice that. All things are created to him. All things have been created through him and for him. I think sometimes we can forget around Christmas that we are not the center of the universe. We're not the center of history. I'm not the center of history. A certain generation is not the center of history. No country is the center of history. Especially the United States is not the center of history. Amen. Everybody goes, amen, amen, that's right. Billions of people have come and billions of people have gone. Empires have come and gone. Nations, countries, kings, queens, presidents, dictators, and rulers have come and gone. And my friends, Christmas is the message of the arrival of Jesus who actually is the center of history. He's the center of all existence. But it wasn't just about his arrival. He arrived with a mission to save you, to heal you, to restore to you, to meet you in your brokenness, to heal your broken heart, to restore what has been things that have been done to you and things that you've been done that you have done to others. He came to restore it because that's what he does. He came to mend marriages, he came to mend families, he came to heal minds, he came to heal bodies, he came to break into our lives and transform us through his power and his spirit and he still does it today and he still stands offering his healing and his restoration to us today. It's the beautiful story and account and reality of Christmas. If we can, let's take a moment and just pray as we close today. Lord, we want to thank you today that in the midst of maybe what seems like chaos, or an unpredictable world that we live in. In times that things are maybe difficult for many, that you stand and you make sense of it all. Lord, today we lift our eyes from our circumstances, from our failings, from our brokenness, And we fix our eyes on you, the author and completer of our faith, our healer. Lord, I ask you today that those who are hearing this, whether live or online, that, Lord, you would meet them fresh and new today, that you would bring a sense of healing, a sense of restoration to their life, that you would 
pull back the curtains of their hearts and you would speak in a way that melts the areas of their lives that have become hardened because of sin, because of pain, because of the struggles of life. That today, God, that you would, as you broke into our world, that you would break the strongholds in our minds and our lives. That you would move in us and you would redeem us from our past. You would redeem us from our failings. You would redeem us from the things that we're embarrassed of. And we will see you today inviting us to come closer. Inviting us to lay our lives down at your feet. And as we recognize today you came to die for us, we put our faith in that reality. And if that is true and we believe it, then, Lord, we make a decision today that we will die for you, that we will pick up our cross, and we will follow you. Now, Lord, minister to us. Thank you for your realities of Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.